0: This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Slack. Slack is a collaboration hub for work that makes sure the right people in your team are always in the loop and key information is always at their fingertips. Learn more at Slack.com. It's Thursday, November 29th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hell joining me in studio Emily Flippin in the house. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So we're gonna dip into the full mailbag. We gotta start with a tale of two retailers. Abercrombie and Fitch and Express, both with third quarter reports out this morning. And kind of like we saw yesterday with two stocks with a huge difference in their spread. Abercrombie and Fitch up about 20% this morning. Express down about 10%. It was worse than that when the market first opened. I guess, I mean, let's start with Express because. Anytime I see a company like this, and by that I mean it's now somewhere in the neighborhood of $450 million market cap, they are struggling in what is historically a tough industry. I mean, apparel retail is a tough industry. And I guess my first question to you is, how bad a shape do you think Express is in right now? Because just on the surface, in the wake of this report, and it's not a particularly big company, I'm wondering how much trouble they're in.
1: well, I don't think they're in as much trouble as like JC. Penney or Sears or something, right. They're not they haven't gone to that point yet. But I do think that as a company, they're operating in a segment that isn't going to be there in the future. It's kind of like this middle line retailer, where you have your high end goods aimed at adults, your then your discount goods, like so your TJ Maxx's versus your Nordstroms, and they're kind of in this weird middle zone where they're trying to get somebody at that like forty to fifty dollar price point, and it's really a challenging area to be in. So I'm not sure if they've really. Bottomed out per se. Uh, but I do think that it is concerning if I were Express to be operating in the segment where, you know, we're seeing the retailers just be really pushed. And like you said, it's a hard area to be operating in.
0: So it sounds like you're saying maybe not so much a knock on Express and their management, it's just the space that they're in. You think, I mean, you think this could go away?
1: I would not be surprised. I think it could be acquired. I would also not be surprised by that.
0: No, I'm saying the space because oh, this... one of the things I was thinking when you were talking about sort of like what is Express trying to pull off mm-hmm. in terms of who they're appealing to, one of the things I was thinking was, wow, that sounds a little bit like the Gap. Oh, yeah. In the same way that, you know, Old Navy is more discount, aimed at a younger uh, consumer, Banana Republic uh, a little higher end. And as we've seen in Gap's quarterly reports over the last couple of years. That's kind of how that's played out for that company, where it's like Old Navy's doing well, depending on the quarter, Banana Republic does pretty well. And GAP, the namesake brand, is the one that struggles.
1: Exactly. And I think it's for exactly that reason where they're playing in the middle market. Malls in America where the majority of their revenue used to come from, right? People kind of browsing through, walking. I mean, they now have to push these people to start ordering online. And the problem is when you're ordering online, you suddenly your options are You know, they've exploded. You're no longer limited to where your ability to walk in a mall is. So I'm not surprised that we're seeing, you know, I think management, when you talk about expresses management, they maybe haven't pushed digital sales as much as they should have. So I'm not surprised to see this middle area kind of falling through because you have the people who are going to continue to buy kind of higher end stuff online and the people who are probably going to be buying these lower end discount clothes in stores.
0: So let's flip it around for Abercrombie and Fitch. Are they are they as good as this report? I mean, the stock is up close to twenty percent. I mean, you widen it; they're having a great day, and good for them, and good for their shareholders. (laughs) But you widen the lens, and you look at oh, this is a stock that's basically where it was a year ago.
1: Well, this is what I love when you look about. We talk about the middle industry; it's really interesting because yeah, Abercrombie and Fitch reported today. Beat expectations. Both companies beat expectations, but the guidance and Express is what kind of caused their stock to drop. Um, and it was really interesting because when you think about Abercrombie and Fitch, you think, well, they must be a competitor to Express because they're in that middle $40 to $50 price range as well. And when you dig into the numbers of American Express, you'll find that as a brand itself, American Express actually didn't do that well.
0: Wait, American Express?
1: Oh, sorry. <laughs> Abercrombie and Fitch. Abercrombie and Fitch. Abercrombie and, Fitch. <laughs> um, and what? when you start looking at their sub brands, Hollister, that's the one that's doing really well. And you can notice the different segments that Abercrombie and Fit, not American Express, (laughs) are going after here compared to Hollister. Hollister is aimed at younger, like millennials, kids, teenagers. When you go onto their website, it's not men and women, it's boys and girls. And those are the people you're probably going to get with that price range, where they want that brand name recognition, but they're not going to Nordstrom, right? They're not going to spend a few hundred dollars on an outfit, um, but they're also not shopping at discount retailers because they still want that cool factor. So I think we're seeing a lot of Express for American, uh, for Abercrombie and Fitch, in comparison to Express, because of the fact that they have this Hollister brand, which is really differentiating their services.
0: Also, with Abercrombie and Fitch, you look at the numbers that they just put up, and I think you're right. I mean, the, as much as anything, the guidance that Express gave is what is doing that stock in today. And with Abercrombie and Fitch, their guidance for the holiday quarter was pretty strong, mm-hmm. particularly on the same store sales front. And their same store sales, I mean, it was for the third quarter, it was up three percent. That's that's not an amazing number, but it's certainly better than people were expecting.
1: Well, three percent. As a company, but Abercrombie and Fitch itself about one percent, which is kind of on par with Express. Espresso was the same source as Flats. flat. It was the Hollister brand that was up four percent. Okay. Yeah. So when you look at those two separately, I mean Hollister is the one that's really kind of, you know, killing it in this space, and Abercrombie and Fitch is kind of being dragged along.
0: So do you suppose on any level there's uh, there are conversations that are going on, whether it's Express or Abercrombie and Fitch or at Gap? where someone in the room is saying we really need to think about what is going to change the game for us in terms of this middle market retail or we need to seriously consider getting out of it because at least in the case of i mean in the case of Abercrombie and Fitch and Hollister Hollister is the one that's doing better, but Abercrombie and Fitch is sort of the better known brand, and and there's some brand appeal there that maybe you can't put a number on it, but it's certainly a higher recognition factor than with Hollister. In the case of Gap, I get that it's the namesake brand, but still they've got two other brands that are pretty darn strong, and I'm wondering if on any level. You as an analyst just want to reach out to them and be like, oh, seriously, either figure out a way to change the game or get out of the game altogether.
1: I would not be surprised. In fact, I would I would be very disappointed if management in these companies weren't having that conversation. I don't think anyone is blind to the fact that that's where the market is going. But I think it, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you talk about the brand. A lot of these companies, I think, the reason why they haven't moved out of the game is because they attribute a lot of value to their brand and they think they can drive customer growth through brand name recognition. And to an extent, that's what we see with Abercrombie and Fitch and Hollister. I mean, these are brand name clothing. They have their labels or the logos right there for you to see. So, I'm not surprised to see that these maybe compete better versus Espress, which is a retailer, but you can't tell an Express sweater from any other sweater that you could buy anywhere else because they're not that brand name.
0: Yeah, I, I was uh, on the Express website this morning, and that was one of the thoughts I had when I was, when I and I think it's just express.com, but I was looking at it and thinking, yeah, I can't remember ever seeing any out in the world. Whereas, you know, pretty much every week I'll see a young person with whether it's Gap, Old Navy, Mm -hmm. American Eagle, Abercrombie & Fitch, certainly a lot of Hollister, that sort of thing. You can see that stuff out there. A quick shout-out to Slack for supporting today's Market Foolery. Slack is a collaboration hub for work, whatever work you do. With Slack, the right people in your team are kept in the loop, and the information they need is always at their fingertips. Teamwork on Slack happens in channels, letting you organize conversations and information around projects, offices, and teams, and because everything you need is in one place, it's faster and easier to get things done. And with Slack, your team is better connected. And you can find out more at Slack.com. Here's how I think about Slack, because collaboration hub, like if you go to your boss and you say, Hey, should we consider Slack for our company? And if your boss is like, Well, what's Slack? If you say a collaboration hub, your boss is just gonna make that face. Like, what, what what does that mean? Here's what it means to me. It dramatically cuts down on email. Like first and foremost, we've been we've been using Slack for years at the Molly Fool, and it saves so much time because it cuts down on email, and it's so easy to share information over Slack. Uh, and the mobile app is great too, with iOS and Android. It works with Google Drive, Salesforce. You can tailor it to work with over a thousand apps. Slack, where work happens, and you can find out why at slack.com. Our email address is marketfulery at fool.com. Question from Tom Crone who writes Longtime listener, first-time emailer. I'm a beginner investor building a small defensive dividend portfolio through Robinhood. I currently have shares in Walmart, Kraft Heinz, Tyson Foods, Verizon, AT&T, Bank of America, as well as a dividend aristocrat ETF. I'm looking to round out my portfolio with consumer beverage stocks, either Coca-Cola or Starbucks, but I'm also considering adding waste management one thing I do not hear a lot about is the waste that all of this increased production and growth produces. I know waste management and Republic Services are the two leaders in the industry, but would love to hear your thoughts on waste management stocks as defensive stocks. Thanks for all you do and all the great content you provide. Uh, thanks for listening, Tom, and and great question. And you and I were talking right before we started taping waste management. One of those companies with a straightforward name, I mean, they're in the business of trash. And it is, it is a decidedly unsexy as a business, but if you've been a shareholder of waste management for the past, I don't know, 10 years, you've been handsomely rewarded for that.
1: And I love the idea of owning a portfolio of defensive dividend stocks. I think that's one thing in the market. I mean, especially a market that's overrun with tech companies and these high valuations. I love the idea of having a more modest portfolio that's just sitting back and doing the work for you. And when you look at a lot of those, um, you know, names like Walmart, Kraft Heinz, Tyson. I mean, none of these are like you said, sexy companies. None of these are gonna, you know, gonna say to your best friend like, "Oh yeah, I bought some Walmart yesterday." You know, it's not that exciting. But, I've
0: got I've got a hot tip for you. Yeah. <laughs> It's called Walmart. <laughs>
1: I mean, but these are great companies. These are great companies owned because while well, they might not be your next, you know, Facebook or Amazon or Netflix, they're going to be great companies that likely are very cash positive and can pay a steady dividend. So, looking at waste management within itself, it's not something that we spend a lot of time talking about because, like you said, nobody really likes to talk about waste management. But when you have an economy that's growing and scaling, you're going to have increased waste. So, it's kind of a natural part of that progress. So, I like the idea. I like the idea. I think when you look at waste management in particular, in comparison to some of these other kind of dividend-paying companies or industries, uh, you have to be aware of some of the unique risks that waste management poses. And the first being, of course, just normal economic cycles. So coming out of the recession, I mean, that would have been a great time to buy into waste management, right? Because you know that as a country, we're going to continue to grow and develop, especially throughout that period. I think a good argument could be made that we're, you know, reaching our peak of our economic cycle now. We're about to see another kind of, you know, we're having lots of how is being built, lots of um, different businesses being built, and all of these things produce waste. So, that's an important thing to realize, is that this is going to be, to an extent, a cyclical kind of investment. Because while we do produce more waste, it does depend a lot on the economic cycles that we're in. Um, And it's also important to recognize that this is has exposure to commodity prices. And you might think, like, waste management doesn't have exposure to commodities. I'm buying oil here. Uh, but to an extent, they sell recyclables. It's a smaller part of waste management's business, but they do have to still kind of sort out these recyclables and sell them. Um, and the biggest buyer of our recyclables are China. Um, and a lot of issues with China right now, but the biggest one being that Chinese regulatory authorities are getting really mad at the U.S. because when we send them recyclable materials, It's not really recyclable. We don't do a great job of being like, oh, great, here's a clean glass or plastic or aluminum container. Um, We kind of send everything in one pile. And so there's been a lot more regulations in terms of what we can sell and what we can't sell. And that does hurt companies because it now increases the cost that our waste management companies have to do to differentiate what can be recycled, what can't be recycled, what can we sell back to the market, you know what are the prices for aluminum or paper fibers and how much can we get for this. So to an extent It is kind of variable. And those are unique risks that you'll get when you buy into waste management. But as a long term investment, I mean, this is a cash company with long term contracts, very predictable cash flows. So, as part of a dividend portfolio, I mean, it can be a great addition.
0: And one more thing working in its favor, and to that extent, Republic Services' favor as well. High barrier to entry.
1: Oh, completely. There's so many regulations that it really prevents. Like for example, owning landfills is a natural part of this business. You can't just go build a landfill. Landfill. Trying to get into waste management, it's not part of the business. You can't do it. So yeah, there's very very high barriers to entry. Arguably a duopoly in this space. So I mean, as far as inherent competitive risks, I agree, pretty low.
0: It is pretty great. I'm just thinking about Tom's portfolio with the with the dividends. And look, it's it's always great to look at a stock in your portfolio or just your portfolio at large and see growth over time, whatever time period you choose to look at. But one of the sort of sneaky fun ways that growth can happen in your portfolio is with dividends because it's you know it doesn't get the biggest headlines it's usually something that gets thrown into a press release in the quarterly report oh by the way we're pumping up our dividend by another couple of pennies or that sort of thing but over time if you've got dividend aristocrats in your portfolio over time you are faced with the happy problem of now what do i do with this cash because you know there there are some who just say no i don't i'm not looking to turn the dividend into more shares i just want the cash and you know what that's what happens with dividend aristocrats over time is eventually you get to the point where it's like you have enough shares the cash is piling up in your portfolio. You got to find out what you're going to do with it.
1: Exactly, and usually with a lot of these companies that pay steady dividends, you have a pretty long lead way to figure out whether or not that there's an issue that's coming. Right, you're aware of the fact that dividends start decreasing, cash starts coming, stops coming. I mean, that's a big sign to you if you're a dividend investor that maybe things are squeezed. I think GE is a great example of that, a company that recently used to be a great dividend aristocrat, but now is you know, non-existent. Uh, but there's a long lead way there. I mean, we're looking at a year of of potential for this dividend to be cut. So, I mean, as a dividend investor, you're looking at—you um, have a longer leeway with your investments to whether or not that investment is going to turn quickly on you.
0: Emily Flippin, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Flurry. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.